You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1842nd edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 19th of August 2021. The editor of this edition is Sheila Franklin, the producer is Jackie Whiting and your readers are Gordon McKay and Sue Cunningham-Snell. We should also mention our processing teams who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We will repeat any telephone numbers that are in this edition at the end of the memory stick. And now we will move on to our headlines. And the first headline that I have is Aging NHS Hospital must be open with public over risk. Hauliers warn shortages are getting worse. Taxi drivers postponed strike after council agrees to a review of ruinous rules. Any number of reasons for spike in new market COVID cases. There are calls for an ageing NHS hospital to be open with patients over any potential risk of its main building collapsing after leaked documents uncovered evidence of disastrous planning. West Suffolk Hospital in Bury St Edmunds currently has more than two dozen metal supports propping up crumbling concrete planks made using reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete. Around 10,000 panels, which have a 30-year lifespan, are used in the hospital's main site in Hardwick Lane, having been a popular construction choice in the 1970s when the facility was built. Now, documents leaked to the BBC have revealed the depth of concern surrounding structural issues at the Trust. According to the broadcaster, Trust bosses commissioned a report to assess the risk of being charged with corporate manslaughter should a fatal roof collapse occur. It came after initial risk. Assessment stated the chances of a plank collapse was almost certain since downgraded to likely. With the rollout of its safety programme, the BBC reported. Trust chiefs say the safety of patients, staff and visitors is their priority and they've always followed expert advice. They said there have been no plank failures at the Trust and they are continuing to deliver safe services for patients who should continue to come forward for care as they usually would. Andy Jacob of Healthwatch Suffolk recognise the hospital is doing all it can to keep staff and patients safe. But he said communication with the public could have been better. The reasoning has been that it would cause unnecessary anxiety 
But people inadvertently hearing reading about it from other sources doesn't help at all. Documents seen by the BBC also reveal the existence of emergency planning schemes such as Exercise Hodges, carried out in eastern England during 2020, simulating a partial hospital collapse. Another operation included the invocation of mass casualty plan with ambulance diversions. A hospital spokesman said, We have a number of well-practiced measures in place to identify and fix any issues immediately. Alarm bells were first sounded about RAAC planks in 2019 when a flat roof collapsed at an Essex school. West Suffolk chiefs ordered a full structural survey after being warned its planks could be at risk of decay. Three years on, while trust bosses continue caring for patients, a continuous survey and assessment programme is underway analysing the condition of the planks, identifying sounds of stress, carrying out tap tests and using radar equipment. Bosses added that if and when an issue is identified fail-safe, metal supports are being implemented as an additional precaution. A structural engineering report in March 2021 made several suggestions, the Trust said, and it did not recommend a hospital closure. A new 32-bed decant ward has been built while urgent repair work continues. While Suffolk is supposed to be getting a new site in the next decade, with nearby Hardwick Manor, the preferred choice, such measures will stay in place until teams relocate. In the meantime, it is estimated that tens of millions of pounds are needed to tide the trust over. It is not alone in facing complex structural issues. The James Pageant Hospital in Galston and the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Kings Lynn are built using similarly unstable panels. West Suffolk is set to receive £30 million from a £110 government pot to help with the repairs. Hauliers in Suffolk say the shortage of truck drivers is getting worse by the day and warn we are heading for a crisis. They say the growing costs associated with the difficulties and demands in getting goods to shops and businesses will have to be passed on to consumers, leading to price hikes. The Road Haulage Association and Felix's Port Users Association are both demanding urgent action from the government after it was reported there is a shortfall of 100,000 drivers nationally. Road Haulage Association area manager Tom Cornwall said it won't be long before the impact of the driver's shortage crisis is felt beyond our industry as the costs of moving goods rising significantly and these costs will have to be passed on to the consumer. This is a critical issue for the economy and it's why we've issued member ministers with a number of short and long-term solutions to get people behind the wheel. Paul Miller, chief executive of Gold Star Transport, said the driver shortage is worsening by the day. 
More than a dozen taxi drivers at companies across Bury St Edmunds, Newmarket and Haverhill had intended to strike on Monday, but say this will no longer happen after council bosses agreed to a review. They raised a series of concerns over the treatment of taxi workers during the pandemic and expressed fears over additional rules they claimed could threaten livelihoods. These included a move to phase out saloon cars in taxi ranks in favour of wheelchair-accessible vehicles, the WABSs. Hackney carriage drivers, which, re- which rely heavily on customers choosing to use saloons, claim people with mobility problems cannot effectively access WABS, as many required passengers to step up. Mark Goodchild of Goodchild Cars said he feared mandating them could push prices up by £20,000. Council bosses said the requirement for all new vehicles to be wheelchair accessible was introduced in 2019 after consultation. But they pledged to carry out a review to ensure the service matches all taxi users' needs. Regarding the use of agency workers... WSC bosses said two licenses department staff costing 1400 per week were necessary to ensure there was the right short-term specialist support. Brandon-based driver Mark Barnes described the payments as a kick in the teeth when many drivers face financial hardship with just 14 drivers receiving COVID grants at the end of March 2021. WSC bosses said 85 drivers received grants by July. Announcing the postponement, drivers said, We do not want to alienate the public by causing traffic jams while councillors are away on holiday. We want to make sure in future there is a balance of cars and WABSs so people with other disabilities still have the choice of a car. A WSC spokesman said it announced a review some weeks ago and recent communications clarified timings. Portfolio holder for regulation, Andy Drummond, added We welcome the decision by the taxi industry to postpone this protest and look forward to working with them and people with disabilities or their representatives in this review to ensure accessibility for all taxi users. The thoughts and views on all sides of this will be valuable and we will look to begin the review within a month. The surge in COVID infections in Newmarket could be attributed to any number of reasons, public health bosses have said. Public Health England data has revealed that there were 75 cases in the town and surrounding area in the week up to August the 7th. The neighbourhood for North Newmarket, Studlands and Exning had the highest infection rate in Suffolk at 457.3 cases per 100,000 people. There were seven patients with the virus at West Suffolk Hospital in Bury St Edmunds on August the 10th. Newmarket and Red Lodge County Councillor Andy Drummonds said he was feeling optimistic about the rise in case numbers 
and suggested they could be linked to recent events in the town, such as the Newmarket Nights concert. He said Newmarket has a lot of pubs in the high streets and is a place to go out. It's quite a destination. I am aware that will be some of the cases. I just think as we come out of lockdown, it's obvious that the rate will go up. As we get more freedoms, they will go up even more. Newmarket Nights could have possibly been a part of it. We had Tom Jones here, which had record crowds of 20,000. I would say, compared to the lockdown, that there's a lot of revelry going on and there's not as much as there could be. It's an annoying trend that as the more people mix, the more cases we will have. The vaccines have been a success and the hospitals are not filling up. I feel very optimistic. Martin Seymour, Interim Deputy Director of Public Health for Suffolk, added, There would be any number of reasons why Newmarket has seen a rise in case numbers in the last seven days, but the most important thing is that we act to reduce these rates. You can still catch COVID even if you've had both vaccinations. You can have it and still not show any symptoms and you can still pass it on to others. The COVID virus is still very much out there and, despite the recent easings of restrictions by the government, we must continue to exercise caution. And now to our general news section. And we will begin with the question of could Suffolk end up with a directly elected mayor as part of a government pilot scheme for a new form of devolution across England? The County Council has put in an application to take part in the pilot scheme that will help the government draw up a white paper on possible English devolution later in the year. At the moment, there are no clear indications of what services a developed authority would be responsible for, or how it would interact with existing councils, or whether it would be run by an elected mayor. But the county has linked up with all Suffolk's districts and boroughs, the county's police and crime commissioner, Tim Passmore, and its seven MPs to ask the government for it to be included in the pilot scheme. They believe the fact that all Suffolk's local authorities and MPs are prepared to work together to back the move could be crucial. County Councillor Leader Matthew Hicks said, We have shown over many years, but especially since the COVID crisis began, that public sector organisations in Suffolk can work together very effectively and therefore we feel there is a good chance that we could be included in the pilot scheme. Although details of what powers any new body will have are sketchy, council leaders believe that Prime Minister Boris Johnson is very keen on a single point of leadership, like a mayor. He was mayor of London for eight years. The government has said the devolution across the country would be based on that seen in an increasing number of urban areas, including Greater Manchester, Merseyside, the West Midlands and Yorkshire. Their elected mayors have varying powers, but are able to direct key decisions in their areas on issues like planning, transport, housing and economic development. The seven MPs all signed a letter prepared by West Suffolk's Matt Hancock, 
backing the bid which has been sent to Local Government Secretary Robert Jenrick. In it, they say, For many years, local leaders in Suffolk at all levels have worked more closely together and have put forward constructive propositions for further improvements. We hope to work with you on your forthcoming white paper to show that strong local leadership and strengthened local governance can deliver better. Daft have been praised after helping to clear vegetation from the River Stour. The, <clears throat> the team from Saffron Building Society, which has a branch in Haverhill, volunteered to clean the harmful Himalayan balsam plant from more than four and a half kilometres of watercourse. They were guided by the Essex and Suffolk Rivers Trust, ESRT, which aims to educate society about rivers and the diversity of the riverscape. Andy Went, ESRT Project and Catchment Officer, said, Our projects are reliant on the goodwill of the people of Essex and Suffolk working to protect their rivers from pollution and a reduction in biodiversity. We are reliant on volunteers whether individuals or organisations like Saffron Building Society, who can spare time to get involved. The Himalayan balsam plant is an annual herb with explosive seed heads, which is native to the west and central Himalayas, and was brought to Britain as a garden plant in the early 19th century. It prevents native species from growing and can cause erosion of river banks, impacting the quality of water and disrupt river species. Removing the plant before it goes to seed means it can spread its spread can be controlled. Claire Hunnable, Saffron's business sorry, community business partner, said our green team had a wonderful time being guided by ESRT as we try to disrupt the reproduction of Himalayan balsam plants. To volunteer, visit www.essexsuffolkrivertrust.org. A blacksmith from Bury St Edmunds has created the popular BBC show The Repair Shop for the increase he has seen in his business. Duncan Dry owns Vikings Forge, a blacksmith's in Malthouse Lane, and believes the popularity of the hit show has meant people are looking to get some of their most cherished items repaired. Before, I would work on big jobs from production companies, he said, but there is also now a lot of small jobs as well, which is taking over the business. The repair shop, which began in 2017, sees experts from the industry restore and repair items from the general public. Lockdown saw the show grow in popularity and made the public more aware of the industry and the items they may have stored away. Duncan said, they sometimes mention it, the show, but I guess it is awareness that we need to look after things. Duncan's skills means he is able to tackle anything that comes to his workshop, which has been based in Malthouse Lane for over a hundred years. The blacksmith industry has been the centre of Duncan's life, having started his career as a 15-year-old apprentice in the 1960s. Much has changed in the industry since then. He said, 
I started when I was 15, but I stopped in the 1960s for a little bit more retiring 10 years ago. It was mostly agriculture repairs and general stuff, but then I got into the motorsports industry and building cars in the late part of the 1960s. After a break from the metalworks, he returned to the blacksmith business 10 years ago and said knowing someone in the production and film industry helped him to get an increased amount of work and start off successfully. The COVID-19 pandemic has presented a huge amount of challenges for businesses in the town and across the country, but Duncan saw an upturn in the amount of work that he was doing, mainly due to the increased awareness surrounding the industry and people retreating indoors. No, not at all. In fact, I have been very busy, he said, because lots of people have not been out socialising. They have been in their gardens. Friendships were formed and heartwarming stories shared as a group offering help to bereaved children met for the first time in 18 months to explore life, loss and healing. The Nicky's Way support programme organised St Nicholas Hospital Care held a two-day workshop for six families on July the 27th and 28th after in-person group sessions were suspended during the pandemic. Children enjoyed memory-making activities and football during the event at Hardwick Primary School in Bury St Edmunds with support from hospice staff and volunteers. Julie Beowulf, art therapist and Nikki's Way coordinator, said while they offered families online help during the pandemic, it was wonderful to finally have fun in a group. Friendships were made quickly and the sharing of stories was so heartwarming, she said. Children initially came in looking shy and worried, but on the second day they ran in and were sad that the programme needed to end. One dad, who attended with his two children, said they were able to meet other bereaved families with children, connecting not only through their grief, but through games and activities. Another parent said her daughter received a video call every week for six weeks through Nikki's Way, which helped her understand the process of bereavement. Dr Robert Broderick, one of the hospice's doctors, also joined the workshops to take medical questions from children, which include wanting to know about cancer, how medical equipment works, and telling the doctor how sad they feel. Dr Broderick said it was such a privilege to spend a morning exploring life loss and healing together. I wasn't sure which was more uplifting, our profound discussions, plasticine model-making, or a vigorous, vigorous multi-generational football game. Meanwhile, Sarah Price, the hospital psychological support practitioner and volunteer Sarah Flowers, arranged an adults group. Sarah said, The adults met separately over coffee and tea, and much like the children, they started the morning quiet and hesitant, and sure, unsure of how to and were where to begin, However, also like the children, brought together by a common loss, they found support and understanding from their peers. There was laughter and tears and plans to stay in touch to continue their journey forward.
A spectacular sea of 88,000 brightly coloured sunflowers have bloomed in a Suffolk field, and they are bringing smiles and joy to young, to old alike. The Ruffham estate near Bury St Edmunds has been growing sunflowers for years to help boost local wildlife. The joint owner, George Agnew, said, We thought it would be a wonderful thing if the public could enjoy them as well. So it set aside three acres of land to make a sunflower maze of meandering maze-like pathways. Secluded areas with benches for people to enjoy a picnic in picturesque surroundings have also been created, while a giant swing in the middle of the field gives people a wonderful opportunity to dream away and be a child again. The eager wait for the seven-foot giants to blossom was delayed by rain, but they finally blossomed in early August, quickly becoming a tourist attraction as visitors flocked to take selfies in what must be one of Suffolk's most summery settings. And people can even pick a sunflower at two pounds a stem as a memento of a wonderful summer's day out. It's proving incredibly popular, Mr Agnew said. People have been enjoying the sunshine and taking lots of selfie pictures. You retreat to being a child, even when you're an adult, because they are so tall. After the coronavirus crisis, there's a real yearning for people to meet up outside where they feel safe. This gives people a wonderful opportunity to do stuff outside. And it's a perfect timing this year, when not many people are going away on holiday and are trying to find things to do from home. Even through the sunflowers were only planted by machine in the spring, the project has taken months of planning. Workers spent many hours cutting a maze of paths through the field. When you get inside, it's like the world of the Wizard of Oz, said Mr Agnew. The sunflower field is just off the A14 at Junction 45 and is fully signposted. Picnicking is encouraged, but there are also refreshments available from the Courtyard Cafe at Blackthorpe Barn and the Mobile Brew Co. coffee trailer at the weekends. Admission and parking are both free, and there's no need to book in advance. Toilets and baby-changing facilities are also available. Resilience, dedication and determination. Those are the words that teachers in West Suffolk have used to describe the pupils receiving their GCSE results. Executive head teacher at Newmarket Academy, Nick Froy, paid tribute to the strengths of his pupils have shown over the past few years. This year has been another very difficult year for our students, but they have approached the last 12 months with incredible fortitude, good humour and resilience, he said. The school is so proud of the way they responded to lockdown and, above all, their reaction to results day. We will miss them all and wish them all great success in their futures. It was a similar message from King Edward IV head teacher Lee Walker, who said they have taken everything in their stride, learning both remotely and in school. They have tackled all of their work with great grit and determination. Andy Hunter, head teacher at Samuel Ward Academy, said, 
This group of young people has generally been an example to us all this year. They have approached their studies with incredible maturity and taking a very challenging 18 months completely in their stride. I don't recall in all my years in education working with a year 11 as focused and determined as this one. They have earned their results many times over. We are all extremely proud of them. Caroline Wilson, principal of Ormiston Sudbury Academy, said, It has been inspiring to see the tenacity of our students rightfully rewarded. Ben Woods, 16, Sybil Andrews Academy, said he felt GCSE students this year should be even prouder of their achievements following the pandemic hit last two years. Ben, who achieved six grade nines, four grade eights and one grade seven, said, I'm very happy. They are better than I had hoped for. The last 18 months has been hugely challenging for everyone. I just kept trying to motivate myself and think about the results I wanted. The teachers were really supportive and it was nice to finally get back to school and finish my GCSEs. I'm very proud of what I achieved and every student should be. It's a big achievement for everyone. And now we're going to move on to our letters. And in our letter selection this week, our first letter relates to one of our headline articles. And this is written by actually four councillors, Diane Hind, uh, Pat Hanion, David Smith and Cliff Waterman. And between them, they head their letter Concerns over taxi policy changes. We in the Labour Group on West Suffolk Council are very concerned about the unpopular terms being imposed on taxi drivers and which we feel were imposed without proper consultation. Obviously, we all desire that vehicles are suitable for use by those with disabilities But as disabilities vary so widely, then the requirements for individual people also vary widely. Some people find that climbing in a wheelchair accessible vehicle is impossible and prefer a saloon car. For some of these people who do manage to climb into one of the wheelchair accessible vehicles, then the ride is so uncomfortable that they often their disability or pain is made worse. Equally, saloon vehicles can be unsuitable for people shifting across from their wheelchair. It is important that there is choice so that people's unique needs are all catered for. When booking a taxi, if we are a party of four or more, we would inform the taxi company. And similarly, those with disabilities can always ask for their particular preference. When selecting from the taxi rank, residents have told us that if the first one is not suitable for their needs, they go the next one, and this is appreciated and understood by the taxi drivers. Similarly, when phoning for a minicab, it is possible to state your needs so that no one is disenfranchised. We are seeking answers from Andy Drummond, Regularity Portfolio Holder for West Suffolk. Council on the following points. On what day and by whom was the current policy approved? 
If this predates single council, can we have the dates when both FHDC and the SEBC allegedly made the approval? We believe there was consultation early in 2020. What was remit and what were the results? In regard to the latest consultation with the trade and disabled users, how are the disabled responders being selected? Can we, as councillors, refer residents to the consultation site? And uh, this, <clears throat> this letter is from Jill Delart from Hargrave. Here we go again. Julia Wakelam, letters August the 6th, says, Nay, demands the immediate secession of all fossil fuel extraction. I am assuming that she has a rock-solid plan to replace our energy needs and reliance on petrochemicals generally with another source the day after. Until such time as Julia Wakelam and others like her can prove that they have a viable alternatives which will allow us to heat our homes, cook our food and go about our daily business in our own transport without vast increases in cost and a decrease in efficiency, I will thank them to stop telling me how to live. Uh, my letter is from Peter Harper. He's from Newmarket and lives in Royal Palace Close. Heads his letter, What a sorry bunch government is. So Rachel Hood stormed out of the meeting, which passed a vote of no confidence in Matt Hancock, RMP, who, like Boris Johnson's, was nodding acquaintance with the truth. Our government, Johnson, Hancock, Jenrick, Patel, all caught misbehaving, etc. What a sorry bunch they are. Just to remind our ex-mayors, vaccine procurement was taken out of the hands of Department of Health as they were useless. I have no political allegiance, but hate with a vengeance, strangers to the truth of which Hancock, with the weight of evidence against him, on the balance of probability is one. And this letter is from Ian Young of Englehard Road, Newmarket. In response to the Newmarket Journal front page story, July the 29th, regarding the vote of no confidence in our MPs and three Conservatives walking out after the vote, having the three councillors now resigned, if not, why? The three of them, Chris Hood, uh, sorry, councillors Hood, Drummond and Lay, clearly do not believe in democracy. So why would they wish to continue as councillors on our town, district and county councils? As to Councillor Hood and Drummond's quotes, how hypocritical are they? They are not even more hypocritical and delusional than the MPs that they are defending, if that is at all possible. Councillor Drummond says, how low can this council stoop? Please may I answer that for him. It may, in Councillor Drummond's rather strange opinion, have stooped low, but it has by no means stooped anywhere as low as he has, or Councillor Hood and Lay have stooped over the years. The three of them, along with our MP, have been instrumental in holding back this town for years, 
and are mainly responsible for the demise of this once beautiful market town. The three of them, and our MP, must be so, so proud of their achievements. Bravo. Keep on defending the indefensible hypocrite that is our MP. I look forward to yours and his resignation. (laughs) Um, Andy Neal from Mildenhall writes, Expect road problems to become worse. The one billion pound Suffolk County Council Highways budget announcement sounded very positive until discovered it is for the next 20 years and now gives great cause for concern. 20 years is a long time to predict the financial requirements of highways to deliver a service of standard. The 20-year contract will be for 10 years with two further five-year options to extend. I would hope they will put in place an annual restriction to spend revenue will last the duration of the contract. On reflection, a lot less for the first 10 years should be the restriction. Inflation and material cost would certainly be greater for the second 10 years of this contract. With all the housing growth, trying to predict a cost of services for the next 20 years is impossible. The one billion figure must certainly will not be providing any improvements of service from highways. So expect potholes, weeds, road resurfacing and drainage problems to become far worse. Working budgets like these are totally inadequate and squeeze the pride out of our communities with its presentation. Elected county councillors must represent us and voice grave concern at the 20-year length of a contract being offered to commence 23-23 and the insufficient working capital available. Uh, And this letter's from Graham Day of Stowmarket. Sir... Oh, how so true were Martin Newell's views on the new developments which are approaching, encroaching into our countryside. Perhaps because of the restrictions imposed by the pandemic, curtailing our ability to comprehend what has been happening, new housing schemes have slipped in under the radar by overzealous developers driven by profit maximisation. This has been driven by a government who only see economic salvation through a blinkered approach of build and build. I recall former Prime Minister David Cameron championing the need to ensure that there was a need to manufacture more at home and reduce reliance on imported goods. Unfortunately, we are a service economy and house building is part of that equation. Like Martin, I am salmoned when I see former agricultural land under tarmac and not under the plough. In Stowmarket, there has been tremendous building in the past on the Stowpland side of town. Now there is increased building in Stowpland itself, removing forever wonderful vistas across the fields to Creating St Peter and almost lost the demarcation between village and town. Fields, once a pleasure to cross, particularly in autumn towards Onus, are now under the bulldozer, and there will be no distinction between settlements. 
the worst features of interwar ribbon development have arrived in the countryside. The situation is the same round Ipswich, with major developments in the vicinity of the Holiday Inn, with over 500 more houses proposed three miles down the road in Capel St Mary. Add in the so-called Garden Village to the north of Ipswich towards Henley, then we have a potential recipe for pressure on services and inadequate infrastructure, both of which come later than sooner. All new schemes are often granted permission in the face of vociferous local opposition and often in direct contravention of planning policies constructed in conjunction with local people. Developers over many years, particularly since the early 1970s, have always bleated about having insufficient land to build on, despite having unused permissions. Estates which are built many with only a token of affordable homes often appear alien in their environment because of their design. The one design fits all approach of large house builders. Town and country planning was meant to curb excess development and improve designs. Unfortunately now, like Martin, I feel the genius has escaped from the bottle. We are losing the green spaces which are irreplaceable. A consequence for, but importantly, an unmitigated disaster for future generations and the climate security, sorry, the climate security of the planet. Do the developments and this government care? Probably not so long as the money comes in. And my next letter is from Peter Critchley from Pakenham. Heads his letter, more children being pushed into poverty. It is an obvious fact of life that unfortunately children cannot choose their parents. And as a consequence, many of them have to endure abuse, neglect or poverty, or all three. And therefore, it is in my humble opinion, a duty of the government and MPs to do everything in their power to help these poor souls. If therefore comes as a bit of a shock to find your local MP, one, votes for abandoning free school meals during the school holidays, two, votes for a huge reduction in the foreign aid budget and three, is supporting the reduction of £20 per week in the universal credit benefit. Even some Conservative MPs are now beginning to realise that these actions are going to throw even more children into poverty and their parents into relying on food banks and it beggars belief that our own MP seems not a bit concerned. I have written to her on each of these three matters and have had no reply to any of them. I have to believe that the majority of those who voted for Miss Churchill expect her to do what is morally right and not what her boss Boris is telling her to do. Uh, this letter is from B. Perrett, I don't know if it's a man or a woman, of Bury St Edmunds. Sir, despite the figures showing rises in COVID numbers in many areas we visited, several establishments where staff and some customers are not wearing protective masks. Obviously more people every day are being vaccinated, but the virus will always be worldwide 
and one can only guess about the mentality of people who will not take the very basic measures to protect themselves and others. Are they the same individuals who chose not to drive or park sensibly? Sadly, one has to accept that in the ranks of our fellow citizens, most of whom are caring and decent, they are some who shame the minority, the majority. And my last letter is from Peter Bennett King from Easton. Sir, thank you for providing some background information concerning the recent departure of one of Radio Suffolk's most familiar voices. James Hazel has informed and entertained listeners throughout the past few years, and I expect that I am one of many who is missing his daily contributions. First... Let us hope that this engaging presenter and his family will not suffer from the incapacities and insensitivities of a big brother corporation. I am confident that those who have contributed to our local radio broadcast over the years of listening, virtual participation, of actual involvement, will recognise that presenters of this calibre are becoming an endangered species and that the BBC is a better organisation with the likes of such able people. Losing Stephen Foster was disappointing, but coupled with Jane Hazel's departure, the currency of our local radio has been devalued. Uh, And this letter is from Derek Haley of Thurston. Last Wednesday afternoon I had collected my partner from the care home in which she is a resident. The idea was to go to Noughton Park for a walk and then have an ice cream. Unfortunately, my partner had a bad fall with the bag containing the ice cream. I wish to thank all the public who came to our aid. They know know who they are. They called for an ambulance, made sure she was in the correct position, gave her water and got me some tea. This showed once again that when help is needed, you can guarantee the public spirit will come to our aid. Many thanks once again to your help, and we were glad to hear that she has a lot of bruising and a black eye, but she is safe, and thanks for your help. Right, so that's the end of our letters, and both Gordon and I have a feature. Uh, My first feature, or my only feature, is headed One Berry St Edmund's Shop is celebrating its 25th birthday. Reporter Camille Berryman visited Tesco to hear how it has evolved. It was August the 12th, 1996. The Spice Girls were at number one in the single charts with Wannabe. John Major was Prime Minister and Independence Day was number one at the box office. Closer to home, it was also one day at Bury St Edmund's supermarket opened its doors. Julie Bailey, community champion for Tesco St Saviour's Interchange, has been employed there since day one. In fact, 15 of the original 349-strong staff team are still employed at the supermarket, a number which rises to 18 seasonally. Before Tesco arrived in town, the site operated as a lorry park. As the shop was being built, the staff went to train in other stores. 
we were picked up and bussed to Thetford, Stowmarket and Ipswich. Then we came here to work a week or so before we opened, said Judy. Over the years, the store has changed, including internal alterations and additions. We had a big extension from the customer service desk back to pharmacy, said Judy. The extension also saw the in-store cafe, which became a costa, moved to the rear of the shop. In the very beginning, we didn't open 24 hours. We didn't have scan and shop. We didn't have self-serve tills. There was no online ordering and people could pay by cheque, said Julie. Now the online operation has skyrocketed and there are 320 staff employed at the Berry store. Challenges over the years have included the openings of Asda and Aldi. I think the town is big enough for everyone. However, the pandemic has been the toughest 18 months Julie has seen. At the beginning, the stockpiling, having the stock out on the shelves for our customers quickly enough, was hard. Then we went into lockdown, and we lost a lot of staff through shielding. Every day we came to work, and there were more and more restrictions and changes to what we were doing, said Julie. Meanwhile, staff grew concerned about some customers. We have had some of our customers 25 years. During the pandemic, we worried about those we didn't see because they were shielding. It's nice to see them coming back now. The store is planning a party for staff later this month. This article is about the uh, explosion in uh, store market 150 years ago. It was one of the darkest days in Suffolk's history. 28 lives lost, many of them teenagers. The youngest was just 12. Now, 150 years on, residents are continuing to remember those lost in this store market gun cotton explosion. The explosion took place at the Patent Safety Gun Cotton Company. Gun cotton was a highly explosive compound used as an explosive. It was a massive catastrophe for the town, said Claire Smith, the local historian. The Prentices were a big employer. Children were working there as young as 12. Those 12-year-olds were Alfred Bloom, Mary Mount, Alex Mutiner and Susan Wilding. It is said that Mary was only able to be identified because of the stockings she had been wearing that day. A definitive cause for the explosion has never been properly ascertained. One posted explanation is that sulfuric acid was added either by mistake or on purpose by an unknown person. No one was ever charged in the, with connection with the explosion, despite a reward being issued. In addition to the 28 people who died, even more in the town were injured. The explosion was so loud that it left 200 people deaf, and it was heard as far away as Southwold. The craters it left behind were around 9 or 10 metres deep in places. It changed the town, said Mrs Smith. A memorial in the town's names who died in the explosion while a road in the town, Guncotton Way, also commemorates the incident. On Wednesday, Mrs Smith and a group of local people stood outside Red Gable, the former of Eustace Prentice, the factory's owner, and remembered those who had died at the exact time of the accident 150 years on. Mrs Smith read the list of those who had died as well as a poem. Although many of the physical scars have since healed, 
Mr Smith said it was important that people in Stowe Market continue to remember the incident. Incidentally, I can't believe there's a people in the town that go along Guncotton Way and don't know why it is called that. I just think that we are in a town and know things will evolve and we have so much history and we should not let it go. I'd like to add a bit to my own knowledge of that. I heard many years ago that the the man who owned it, Eustace Pleasant Prentice, was blown up in the explosion and no trace of him was found. But his pocket watch was found in the village of Wannis, which is about three or four mile away from, from Stone Market. <laughs> now we're going to return to uh, a few general um, pieces of news for you. A celebration of summer and unity was held in Abbey Gardens at the weekend with songs, music and a puppet show. Churches Together held its summer celebration on Sunday. The organisation represents 50 churches in Bury St Edmunds and surrounding areas. Chair Heather Corbell said, It was a great event. We wanted to celebrate the beauty of the town, the gardens and the unity of people. That is what Jesus Christ is all about. At the event there were songs, hymns, keyboard music and a puppet show for children. It was held between 1.30pm and 4pm and not even the rain put people off. When the rain started, up went the umbrellas and it looked like a sea of mushrooms, said Miss Corbell. Represented at the event were the Eastern Region Fair Trade Organisation, Berry Drop-In, and organisers of the Abbey 1000 celebrations. It was a celebration for the people of Berry St Edmunds, added Miss Corbell. A Berry St Edmunds author has started a new crime series based in the town. Having already written four books in her London-based protective, sorry, Detective Inspector Jack McIntosh series, Michelle Kidd turned to her hometown for her new book, Guilt. The clinical coder for West Suffolk Hospital said, With this being in Bury as opposed to London, it has been good as I can really visualise the scenes a lot easier in my head. The story is around the disappearance of a six-year-old boy from a fair in the Abbey Gardens and Detective Inspector Nicky Hartcastle's hunt for him. Michelle enlisted the help of A&E nurses at the hospital, Suffolk Police and the West Suffolk Council during her research to help make sure things such as procedures, scenes and situations were just right. Two green-fingered children from Bury St Edmunds grew and sold plants to help hedgehogs. Jessica Skilton, six, and her brother Oliver, who was three, raised £125 to buy food for Suffolk Hedgehog Hospital in Newmarket. Their mum, Lisa, said the children planted loads of seeds and once they'd nurtured them into little plants, decided they wanted to set up a stall outside our house to sell them. They grew runner beans, peas and courgettes, as well as flowers. Mrs Skilton posted about the plants on a local Morton Hall Facebook page and people felt left donations in return for the plants. The children used the money to fill a trolley full of dog food from the main Tesco in Bury St Edmunds, and Tesco also donated a bit extra. 
The family arranged to deliver the food and the children met Will the Hedgehog. The charity is currently as twice its capacity and not able to take in hedgehogs at the moment. Red Lodge could increase in size under new home proposals for the village. Land between Turnpike Road and the 11 could accommodate 148 properties if plans by Persimmon Homes win approval from West Suffolk Council. The developer hopes to build the homes and open space associated infrastructure and landscaping works, including a secure dog park. The proposed development would provide 30% affordable homes, 45 of the 148 homes, and include houses, bungalows and flats from one to five bedrooms. Meanwhile, a total of 348 parking spaces, including 16 visitor spaces, are proposed for the development. In a planning statement, Persimmon said it hoped approval depending to start depending the development of the site in 2022. Assuming 40 to 45 homes were built each year, the development would be complete by about 2026. Right, so sadly we are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given or put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, the Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Sheila and Jackie, Gordon and Sue, it's goodbye. Bye. listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.